Father, we just thank you so much again for the Holy Spirit. We pray and ask that you would bless us, that you would enlighten us. And Lord, most of all, that we would be drawn to Jesus. For this we pray, your precious name, amen. I don't know how you're feeling this morning, but Sabbath mornings can be a a variety of motions. You know, sometimes you don't get good sleep Friday night. Sometimes there's burdens on your heart. Sometimes you come in crash landing Friday sundown. And you wake up Sabbath morning and you don't feel oftentimes like worshiping God. But the Bible tells us these beautiful words. It says, enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving in your heart. I heard an old preacher say many, many years ago, he said, look, when you enter into the presence of God with praise, he enters into your circumstances with power. Let me say this one more time. When you enter into the presence of God with praise, he enters into your circumstances with power. Amen and amen. God is worthy to be praised. And uh, the Bible tells us sometimes we have to offer the sacrifices of praise. So wherever you are at and however you are, I want you to know you're in a good place and God wants to bless you. Amen? Amen. So I want to tell you guys a story, a story you might be familiar with. One of the world's famous rock climbers, mountaineers, uh, his name is Rehon Messner. You might have heard of him. He's someone that has climbed multiple mountains. One of the things he's familiar with was in 1986, he went on expedition to climb Mount Everest. And he decided to do it without an oxygen tank. He went up to that top of the mountain, and there were other people on the expedition who actually died in the attempt to get to the top of Mount Everest. But he actually made it to the top, and he came back down. And when people were interviewing him, they were talking to him, they asked him this question. They said, look, man, did you not know that you were going to die on top of that mountain? Didn't you know that there was death waiting for you up there? You know what his response was? His response was this. I didn't go up there to die. I went up there to live. Today, we're going to be talking about mountains of death and mountains of life. Mountains of death and mountains of life. You know, when I was coming down from, I live in the city of Chowchilla. Anybody heard of Chowchilla? Yeah, I lived there and I still haven't heard of that city. So I was coming down from Chowchilla, passing Fresno, making my way through Tulare, going through Bakersfield. And when you're about to get to the grapevine, all of a sudden you see these two looming mountains that look like gigantic hills. And you're about to make your way through. Well, the Bible tells us that when the children of Israel were at the borders of the promised land, in the land of Moab, they came across two mountains. And God gave very explicit commands. He said, I want you to take half the tribe, and I want you to take, tell them to go up Mount Gerizim. I want you to take the other half of the tribe, and I want you to go to Mount Ebal. And those on top of the mountain of Mount Gerizim will share the blessings of obedience. And those that go up Mount Ebal, they will share the cursings that will fall upon disobedience. Today we're going to be taking a good look at those mountains. Now you may be thinking, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this Sabbath morning breakfast. 
But I want you to know you're going to be blessed by this. So take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. I think I just damaged someone's iPad here. Um, if I did, I just want to apologize and let you know Arden's going to pay for this. So whoever you are, just see Arden after this. So we're in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Moses is reviewing the law. The Bible says these very interesting words in chapter 28. Actually, let's start with chapter 27. And I want you to go all the way to verse 11. Chapter 27, starting with verse 11. Then we're going to jump to chapter 28. Notice what the Bible says right here. Very interesting words. And Moses commanded the people on the same day. These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. When you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, and Joseph, and Benjamin, and these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the children of Israel were at the base, and they could see representatives from both tribes, some on the mountain of blessing and others on the mountain of curses. Now watch what the particular group of tribes say on Mount Gerizim. Notice what it says in chapter 28, starting with verse 1. The Bible says these words, And it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Because you have obeyed the voice of your God. Blessed will you be in the city. And blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of the ground. Verse 5. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Verse 6. Blessed shall be you when you come in. And blessed shall be you when you go out. Verse 7. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. Verse 9. The Lord will establish you as his holy people to himself. Just as he sworn to you. If, keyword if, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So you can imagine that the children of Israel right there, they're hearing the words that come from Mount Gerizim, blessings after blessings after blessings. They were even told the blessings will overtake you. They will tackle you. They will overcome you to the point where you're going to be like, Lord, you blessed me so much, just hold off for a bit. You know what's so interesting there was a church member one day who asked me to do an anointing at her house. And uh, she said, she prepared everything. She even had the oil there, and she had the scripture verse she wanted me to read. She wanted me to read the first part of this passage, which I just read to you. But I didn't look carefully at the rest of the passage, and I started to go into the cursings. And I remember I was just reading all the curses, and I was like, I stopped, and I was looking at my friend who was with me, and I'm like, something's not right here. Anyways, it's important for us to hear the curses. And if they make you cringe, that's the purpose. They should make you cringe. Notice what the Bible says right here in verse 15. But it shall come to pass that if you shall not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today, that these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Curse shall be you in the city, and curse shall be you in the country. Curse, can you imagine if someone's driving by right now? We're just, and cursed are you! you know, can you imagine that right now, just hearing something like this? Anyways, let's continue. 
Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of the body and produce of your land and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall be you when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed, until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of the doings which you have forsaken me. Now when I read that, I thought to myself, oh man, that's intense. Can you imagine the children of Israel? Here they are. They're hearing the blessings of being obedient to the law of God. And then as they're just about to just say, oh, yeah, this is good. Let's praise God. All of a sudden, the tribes that are on Mount Ebal begin to share the cursings of disobedience. And you can imagine they're there. You can imagine they're cringing and and maybe their stomach is starting to churn as they're hearing about the curses. You know, the curses are more than just cause and effect here. There is a divine response in the blessings, and there is a divine response in the curses. And as they're hearing all these things, you can imagine the emotional response. And Moses says, this will come upon you if you are obedient to the law of God and if you are disobedient to the law of God. You know what's really interesting about the law of God? Is that the law of God is part of the dynamics that make up all of existence. When the law of God is kept, when the law of God is followed obediently, there is the blessings of life and love. The universe was created upon these propositional truths that fundamentally make up this universe. That when you're obedient and you follow through with the law, and when the law is kept, there is blessings, there is life. And you can even see out in the world today, people who aren't Christians, people who don't read the Bible, that when there is a violation of these laws, there are certain consequences. And though it may seem sometimes that people can get away with violations of these laws, inevitably there is a consequence. Curses after curses after curses. By the way, I don't know about you, if you ever read the plagues before, you're like, yeah, that's it's my part of my morning devotional, right? I read the seven plagues, right? Yeah. So um, I was studying out the seven plagues. Do you know what the last plague is that falls upon this world? It's hail. Frozen ice comes ice just comes falling down seventy-five pounds and it wrecks the entire earth. And you're like, man. That's intense. Like missiles that just belt this entire planet. And the purpose of the hail, it's very interesting, is that it leaves the world in a pre-creation state. There is disorder. The, the world is desolate. And essentially what, what you are seeing after the seventh plague is what Israel had become for a period of time when they rejected the covenant and when they rejected God's grace. And so what you see at the very end is a world that has rejected the covenant and it has rejected its creator. The earth becomes desolate. It becomes annihilated because it has rejected the author of life itself. It's very interesting as you're reading this. We're told that if you're faithful to the law, blessings will come upon you 
And if you are disobedient, there will be curses. And then on top of that, where it will be a divine response. But you want to know what's so beautiful? Is that Jesus, in the New Testament, decides to climb up on a mountain. And Jesus, the deliverer that Moses talked about. And Jesus... The lawgiver himself, not a representative of the lawgiver like Moses, but the lawgiver himself climbs up on the mountain. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Matthew. I want you to see something incredible. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, notice what the Bible says right here. Starting with verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. You know, this particular mountain is the Mount of Olives, Mount Olivet. And notice what the Bible says right here. And when he seated his disciples, they came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. Notice this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now when you're reading that passage, you're like, man, this is amazing. God is pronouncing blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. And you know what happens as you're looking at this sermon? You continue to read the rest of the passage. And you know what you don't see? You don't see cursings. Let me say this one more time. You don't see cursings in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Amen? What Jesus begins to pronounce on top of the mountain, he begins to say, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And then people are waiting. All right, now we're ready for the cursings. The cursing and the cursing and the cursing. And there's no cursing. Friends, the reason why is because the curse is of disobedience fell upon Jesus. Amen? God pronounces blessings upon you because the curses that came upon disobedience fell upon Him. Jesus Himself takes your curse and He takes my curse and He takes it upon Himself and He bears the curse of a broken law. He takes that upon Himself. The lawgiver Himself absorbs the curses, he stops the curses, and then he begins to reverse the curses. You know what's so amazing about the two mountains that were there? Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessings, and Mount Ebal, the Mount of Curses, is that they were required to, after the speech of the blessings and the curses, when you read the rest of Deuteronomy, they were required to build an altar. But they were not to build the altar upon Mount Gerizim, the altar was to be constructed upon Mount Ebal. In other words, where the sacrifice would be sacrificed, 
would be on the mountains of curses. In fact, when you read Galatians, the Bible teaches us that Jesus became a curse for us. The scriptures teach, cursed is every man that hangs on the tree. He took your disobedience. He took the penalties of your disobedience and he bore them upon himself. Let me just make this a a little bit more clear. Do you know where the new Jerusalem will land on this planet? I know what you're thinking, India, right? India for sure, right? No, no, no. Read Zechariah 14. The new Jerusalem actually comes and lands upon Mount Olivet. Jesus sets up the home of the redeemed upon this mountain of blessings. The redeemed will live in a home that is on the mountains of blessings, not on the mountains of curses. In fact, when you read Revelation chapter 21, you know what it says? It says, in the new Jerusalem, there shall be no more curse in it. Jesus has borne the curse of our brokenness, of our sins, of our disobedience upon Calvary 2,000 years ago. Can you say amen to that? When you read the story of David, when David's sins were coming back to haunt him, when his son Absalom was trying to kill him and ran him out of his kingdom, do you know it was when David went up Mount Olivet that he in his broken state when he was weeping and crying, when he went up Mount Olivet, that God gave him grace. And Ellen White says, never. At that moment, she says, never was the heart of David so dear to God than at that moment when he, on his, his brokenness, was going up the Mount of Olives. And when he went up the Mount of Olives, God began to give him a new strategy, a new plan, a new direction in his life. And he was able to retake back the kingdom. You might have been someone who's just been weeping and broken on the Mount of Cursings. You see the disobedience and you wonder to yourself, wait a minute, have I finally crossed the line with God? Has God finally given up on me? Have I so walked a certain direction from the Lord that I no longer feel His presence or sense His presence anymore? But you want to know something so beautiful? Is that Mount Olivet is available to you and to me at all times. Can you say amen to that? Friends, you know, it's so interesting. You know, I come from a Hindu and Sikh background as well. And, uh, you know, I just want to say there's all the respect in my heart. You know, it's a very good thing that Zeus, king of the Greek gods, does not exist. Amen? He might be trying to seduce your mom or your sister. Or you, if he did. It's a good thing that uh, Baal and Asherah gods, these gods do not exist. You want to know why? Because you might have to sacrifice your children to them if they did. It's a good thing that Thor doesn't exist regardless of any kind of Marvel adaptation, right? Right? It's a good thing he doesn't exist because he'd be hurling lightning bolts at you if you didn't offer some kind of sacrifice when you were sailing the seas. It's a good thing that these gods don't exist because the universe would probably be destroyed. What's my point? When people look at the pantheon of gods that have existed since the beginning of time. And by the way, the God you believe in probably makes up less than 1% of the entire quantity of gods that people have believed in throughout history. When people look at the pantheon of gods that, that people have believed in, 
What they do emotionally and psychologically, and that makes a lot of sense, is they remove and clear the entire deck. You want to know why? Because to them, it's, the world is better off with them not existing than it is with them existing. The world is better off without Zeus existing. Amen? You guys should be saying loud amen to that. I don't know if you guys ever read any of the Greek mythologies out there, right? Why? Because your life would be full of running from these gods and guilt and fear. You'd have to be concerned about every step of your life. You would have no peace in your heart. You'd live in constant agitation and there would be a sickness of soul if you believed these gods existed. But there are many people in the world that look at all the gods that exist and just completely remove them off their table. Because they don't know how to legitimately deal with the, uh, the, the, the guilt and fear and agitation that's in their heart and in the world. You see, there are a lot of people today who don't believe in a God of love. And many of them with good reason. But you see, when you look at what the Bible is teaching, what you begin to see is something so beautiful, you begin to see the story of Jesus. And you want to know what the most beautiful part of the gospel is? Here's the most beautiful part of the gospel. You are not the hero of your own story. Jesus is the hero of your own story. The most beautiful part of the gospel is seeing a God. And you see the perfect photograph of that God in Jesus. And this Jesus who sacrificed life, who gave up of himself permanently for you and for me. It blows your mind and it touches your heart because God is really that good. Amen? You know, it's really interesting. When I first became a Christian, I remember um, going into church and, uh, you know, the pastor, he was preaching on different things. I remember I was sitting with my buddy and I wasn't understanding half the things the preacher was talking about. And I remember he made this reference one time. He's like, okay, everybody, I want you to turn to the love chapter in the Bible. And I was thinking, love chapter in the Bible? <laughs> There's a love chapter in the Bible? Everyone turned to a love chapter. Everyone was just turning their Bibles, and I was like, I don't know where there's a love chapter in the Bible. So I took out my phone, and I typed in the word love. Now, I had the King James Version at that time, right? You know what the love chapter of the Bible is, right? It's 1 Corinthians 13. But in the King James Version, you know what, what the word for love is used there? Charity. So I didn't see love in 1 Corinthians 13. But you want to know where I found love? I found it in the epistles of John. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And every time he would say, turn to the love chapter, I would turn to the epistles of John, and I'm like, I don't know what verse he's on. He must have a different version than me. But here's the thing I begin to understand about John. The youngest of all disciples, the disciple who outlived all the disciples, the disciple who became more like Christ than any other disciples. You know what I understood about John? Every time he mentions the word love, he mentions the word God in the same sentence. Almost every single time he mentions the word love, he mentions the word God. Every time he mentions the word God, he has the word love in the same sentence. Because to John, you could not talk about God without talking about love. And you could not talk about love without talking about God. John believed that if you're going to be talking about God's existence, then you need to be talking about God's primary attribute, and that attribute is love. And that's why he said emphatically, God is love. 
God is love. John understood the beauty of God. And he understood it through his experience with Jesus. You know, we're going to get to heaven one day. And I promise you there's not going to be a conversation like this. You're like, well, what, what, what kind of conversation can you promise is not going to take place in heaven? Yeah, you won't get this kind of conversation. Hey, how did you get to heaven? Like, what do you mean? Yeah, that won't be a conversation. What do you mean? You're not going to have people in heaven who are going to say, hey, how'd you get to heaven? They're going to be like, man, I got there because of the law of God. That's how I got there. What about you? I got there because of grace. What about you? I kind of got there through a hybrid of law and grace. There will be one song to sing in heaven. That we were all there because of the goodness and grace of God. Can you say amen to that? We're all there because of what Jesus has done for us. We're all there because he took your curse, he took my curse, he took our brokenness. By his stripes we are healed. You want to know what the biggest secret will be in heaven? Here's the biggest secret in heaven. When Jesus lets you into heaven, and he says these very interesting words, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And you know what we're going to do when we hear that? We're going to take down our crowns and we're going to just roll it at the feet of Jesus. You want to know why? Because the biggest secret in heaven is we aren't there because of our goodness or faithfulness. We are there because of the goodness and faithfulness of Jesus. Can someone say hallelujah to that? We are there because of the goodness of Christ. We are there because of the faithfulness of Christ. By the way, when you're studying out the Mount of Blessings, where he says, blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you, you know, who are persecuted. Blessed are you. You know, and he begins to describe these blessings. Do you know who he's pronouncing these blessings upon? When you're looking at the characteristics of people who are receiving these blessings, they are a people who look like they have been cursed. They're brokenhearted. They're mourning. They're poor. That's describing the results of the curses found in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And what Jesus does on the Mount of Blessings, he begins to say, blessed are you. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are mourning over brokenness. Broken hearts, broken relationship, broken circumstances. We can ask God for blessings because Jesus took our curse upon himself. Can you say amen to that? You can come boldly to the throne of God and you can ask God for a blessing. You can ask God for the blessings of obedience even when you yourself are struggling with your sins. Even when you yourself are struggling with brokenness, you can ask God for blessings because of Jesus' obedience and because he took that curse upon himself. This should be good news to you today. I know there are circumstances that each one of us are dealing with. There are burdens on our heart. There are situations, maybe you were coming here for a specific answer. Maybe you're wondering, man, should I go left? Should I go right? Maybe you were hoping that just, hey, maybe at this moment, I might hear the voice of God speaking to me. But you know what I've begun to realize about all my circumstances and all my burdens and all the situations that I face with? That sometimes, many times, if not all the time, the thing I need to pray for more than anything is more 
of Jesus. More of Jesus. Because Jesus brings with him the train of blessings. Jesus brings with him peace. He brings with him righteousness and quietness and assurance forever. Jesus brings with him the wisdom that's needed. Jesus brings with him the encouragement that is needed. Jesus is the answer to all the problems of life. And because of his righteousness and because of his obedience is why we can ask God for blessings even when we are broken. You know, as a Seventh-day Adventist, and if you're not a Seventh-day Adventist, Christian, or whoever you are, there's sometimes a thought that we deal with. And you know what that thought is? That the grace that we received early on in our experience, when we first believed and we first accepted the goodness of God and the graciousness of God, the grace that we received in our experience, that sometimes we believe that the more we know, the more we get experience in God's work, the more that we understand and the more we are put in positions of service for his church, we sometimes believe that the grace that was there in the beginning begins to diminish and becomes mitigated over time for us. But friends, I want you to understand something. The grace that was abundant and plentiful at the very beginning is just as abundant and plentiful for you today. Amen and amen. This is good news. Jesus went up the Mount of Blessings and he went up another mountain, Mount Calvary, and he took the curses that come upon you and me because of our disobedience and he took it upon himself. And he bore that for you so that we might have eternal life. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. And Father, as we just take a few minutes to be still and meditate and connect with you, we just pray in this moment of silence. Lord, that we would receive the grace that you have for us. And Father, we just want to thank you for that promise that the effect of righteousness is quietness and assurance forever. Lord, we want to receive the grace that brings us into relationship with you. God, we want to thank you for your faithfulness we want to thank you for your obedience. We want to thank you for the merits of our Savior, Jesus. And Lord, thank you. This is good news. And this is great news for us today. And God, we pray and ask that Jesus would be our response to the problems and trials and insecurities and burdens of life. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and kindness, and thank you for giving Jesus. In his precious name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.